I uh, remember my parents getting divorced during that time period. I mean, it was within a year, this thing that I thought was the most exciting, perfect thing that was happening in our lives, this excitement of starting a business, has now imploded my entire family life. And it was so painful and, and difficult uh, period of my life to go through that the takeaway that I, I saw though wasn't, oh, I'll never start a business. This isn't for me, I don't wanna do it. It was almost the opposite. It's like someone that uh, almost drowns and then decides that they wanna become an Olympic swimmer right? Because I'm just going to face that fear and just go lean into it. I, I walked away from that experience saying, I am going to be the type of person that starts businesses. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights for each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you listen to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Wow, I've got a great episode in store for you today with Mr. Patrick Bryant, who is a serial entrepreneur, professional speaker, and co-founder and CEO of Charleston, the Charleston-based software company or software product agency Code and Trust. After co-founding his first company, GoTo Team, the largest staff video crew provider in the U.S., and taking it to 20 offices around the U.S. 25 years ago, he then had a steady stream of new businesses and media rolling papers. And yes, I did say that rolling papers, and we'll get into that and software. As an entrepreneur, he continues to start and invest in new startups, including Team Foria, which is a human resource engagement software, Event.Gives, which is a fundraising event software, Crew Mama, which is a crew production directory software and shine rolling papers. All told, Patrick has successfully launched six businesses and counting all multi-million dollar companies. And Bryant, Bryant, I'm calling him Bryant. We'll just call him Patrick. Patrick feels strongly about making the world a better place through the impact of entrepreneurship. And yes, we're going to dive into that. He also serves as the co-director of Startup Grind DC, founded and currently chairs the Harbor Entrepreneur Center, and was previously chairman of Palmetto Goodwill, as well as the Charleston Metro Chamber of Commerce. And we're going to dive into a lot of this today. And by the way, he is also an entrepreneur organization certified speaker. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. You can tell Patrick has a Southern accent like mine. He is from the Carolinas. You're going to hear two guys with uh, Southern roots uh, going out today in the interview. Uh, Patrick, let's start at something that I'm really interested in. I think I'm really interested in your perspective here. What advice do you have for parents who'd like to foster entrepreneurship in their children? Well, I think in the early age, let's say, you know, preteen or before, I really would just inspire them to start something, right? See the money flow. Uh, and, and more than a lemonade stand that it's a one-day project, right? How do you get them to 
uh, find a product or a service that they're interested in and help them find a customer, deliver it correctly, and, and see those reps. I, I think doing it mm-hmm. is the number one way to get excited. Now, when they're, when they're younger like that, I tend to, to think of it as like, you know, five-year-olds on a soccer field where mm. they don't need to be particularly good at soccer, right? You don't need to try to teach them everything <laughs> in the good. world. You just yep. need for them to be excited about playing mm-hmm. and, and excited and, and finding joy in being out there and, and having teammates. I think that mm. to me is really the piece is they will see for themselves that especially young people as money starts to come in and they go, oh my gosh, wait a second, I can go do this thing and immediately make cash, uh, then, then they see the value pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I like that perspective a lot. And I've, I've got a 10-year-old, but I started coaching her in soccer when she was five. And yes, I definitely agree. <laughs> They're just going to run around a little bit. And I've been trying to foster this in her. And I think that the money side of it, she's like, hey, I can sell this and make money. She just sold some soap recently to her, to a couple of friends. Uh, we've we've yeah. also got this uh, game called Cash Flow for Kids. That's like a cash flow game. It's, it teaches them a little bit about sort of like a, in a fun way about, you know, operating a business versus just, you know, trading time for money. Exactly. And um, anyway, I, I, I saw on your Instagram, I think one of your sons is an entrepreneur as well, or? Yes. Both of them are very entrepreneurial, not by accident, but the, mm-hmm. my oldest son uh, is a, a software developer who, skipped college, went straight into coding, uh, owns his own house now and is doing incredibly well in the Mm. software development space uh, and has started a couple of different software products and so really has a handle on that. And then my younger son is uh, more on the handyman, uh, you know, construction type side of the house, Mm. Mm -hmm. but at 17, still out in the world on his own, you know, uh, hustling up work. And, and, uh, I just, I just love that. Like to me, it's so exciting to watch them at that age, Mm -hmm. just work with customers and Mm. make a budget and have them, you know, have to stick to it and all those things I just think are, are the best lessons you can, you can teach them. Well, when you're, so when you're talking to your kids, when you speak to them, at a very young age about having their own business versus getting a job or were you having that, were you having that discussion at a young age or are they just, are they, are they just sort of watching you go through your pace as an, as an entrepreneur or both? Well, I, we certainly always assumed and it was an expectation in our household that they would get some sort of gainful employment, right? Once they could start driving and, and we kind of drove their budget toward that where if they wanted mm-hmm. extra money, they needed to, to find ways to make money. And, but obviously growing up in my house, uh, if you're looking to, to make some money, you know, the joke I used to always have with them, uh, was we, we live on the beach and, and I would say, guys, I I will never be homeless because worst case scenario, all those people out there need pina coladas. Right. (laughs) So like it it, is true. It's infused into them at a very early age that, that you hmm. look, you, this is not difficult stuff. Now, if you want to scale something and go public, I, it, that's 
that's a different game and, and that's mm-hmm. hard work and you got to really uh, move in the correct direction and make sure you have a product that's innovative and scalable. But before that, I think rule number one is just what does the customer want and what can I sell them? What am I capable of? Uh, and, mm. and once you do that, you learn very quickly that you will always have some sort of place in the, in the financial world if you can provide value to people. So early on, you started your own business, I believe, at the age of 16. Correct. And then that was through some family hardship that went that uh, happened. Maybe share a little bit about that story and how that sort of launched you into your own business. And, um, you know, Ben, when I was 17 years old, I vividly remember my father walking into my bedroom. We had started a newspaper uh, two years earlier, and my father was an expert in the newspaper industry. He was starting this paper along with my uh, mother and my brother was real involved. And I had really gotten jazzed up at the time. I didn't know what I know about myself now uh, as being so excited about entrepreneurship. But I just Mm. love the idea of starting Mm -hmm. a business. And we start this business and I dive in. I I invested in the business. I had $2,500 of my own money on the line, uh, as did other investors. And we mm-hmm. work on this newspaper. And, and as I said, I remember him walking into my bedroom. I'm 17 years old. And he tells me that we are done. They are closing mm-hmm. the business. And ultimately, they would file bankruptcy. We would lose our house. Wow. I, I Uh, Remember my parents getting divorced during that time period. I mean, it was within a year, this thing that I thought was the most exciting, perfect thing that was happening in our lives. This excitement of starting a business has now imploded my entire family life. And it Mm. was so painful and and difficult uh, period of my life to go through that the takeaway that I, I saw though wasn't, oh, I'll never start a business. This isn't for me. I don't want to do it. It was almost the opposite. It's like someone that uh, almost drowns and then decides that they want to become an Olympic swimmer, right? Because I'm just going to face that fear and just go Mm. lean Mm -hmm. into it. I, I walked away from that experience saying, I am going to be the type of person that starts businesses. And I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to wait until I'm 55 like my dad did. I, I'm going to start them today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep failing until I get good at it. Uh, and I really wow. just had that mentality of, well, this is, this is just what I'm going to yeah. be. Is I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. And and it really did become kind of a, a, a really negative moment, became my superhero, you know, power, which is just, no, this, you can't, hmm. you can't beat me. I'll just keep going. So it was a, it was a tough, tough time, but it, it taught me uh, everything. And ultimately I took so much from that business. I took a skill set of being able to work on Macintosh computers and be a graphic designer uh, I took literally everything. I took. I was j- driving the mm. used minivan uh, as we had filed bankruptcy. The the used minivan from the business became my car for a little bit. Uh, I took the computers, the graphic design 
computers. And I started, as you mentioned, my first business at 17, which was a graphic design uh, firm mm -hmm. doing graphics and Macintosh uh, desktop publishing work for other businesses. I get a chill hearing you tell that story because there are so many great things about that. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is um, like a, like the David and Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell book, where a perceived disadvantage or something uh, that could have just scared you out and say, hey, of uh, being an entrepreneur and like, hey, my lesson is that I need to take away from this experience that I saw my parents go through is I need a secure job that I'll never, and a huge, a huge wad of cash in the bank, so I'll never uh, be at risk of losing anything. Uh, yeah. but it yeah. became an advantage for you because you said, you know what, I, I got through this. I relied on my own skills to learn and you honed your skills to that experience. It also reminds me of why so much innovation came out of the great depression was because everything was so stripped away and people had to really rely on their skills to innovate. Um, I think you're totally correct. Hmm. And now I will say this, I learned to build brick house finance businesses, right? I, I learned finance early on. Mm, After mm -hmm. that, I, I was keenly aware of what we were spending money on and how, and really mm. had this, our first business um, uh, was the audio, live audio and, and sound and lighting. After the graphic design firm, I move into that. And I was, it, it, this is in college. I'm telling my college partners, hey, look, we got to save money. We got to have a little on the side over here. We got to know that, that we're <laughs> going to make most it through, you know, any, any time, any, any downtimes, mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to be able to make it through. So uh, I, I really did take away mm -hmm. so many lessons, but you're right. One of them was not, uh, I'm going to go hunker down and, and have a full-time job. Yeah, it, it really goes to show that a key mindset bill or, or foundation of building a resilient mindset is looking at how you interpret the events that happen in life. And was this fostered in you uh, as a young person? I mean, I, 17, it's just so early, but were there moments as a child where this was sort of building, building up for you from a resilient mindset? It's almost like the, it reminds me too of the growth mindset versus fixed mindset book by uh, Carol Dweck, or was this something that you think was just in, uh, innate to you? Well, no, I have parents that were telling me that I could do anything, that I could, I could mm -hmm. be anything. And they were, they were coaching me early on to enjoy uh, that, that mm -hmm. ability to stretch and, and, and be something larger. They, mm -hmm. were, they were always open to that idea. I, I will say, though, having studied entrepreneurs now, I mean, it's almost my full-time job is studying entrepreneurs and their success and and how they innovate and scale and uh, what i've learned is there are these different types of entrepreneurs right there there's okay. some of us that i call the hustling entrepreneur we can just kind of grab anything and go sell it and figure out how to make it work and then there are other expert entrepreneurs that that just become you know a nuclear science expert and then they go sell something to the nuclear science industry, right? And so I think there are these different types, these, these genomes of, of entrepreneurs. Hmm. And okay. I just happened to be one of those that was always hustling, always wanting to find a business that could bring a lot of value to people and ultimately 
you know, send cash my way without working. <laughs> Mailbox money. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I don't want to get too far away from this story because something else that's coming up for me and it's something that I was reading before was you talked about the situation, you know, with your dad, where your dad you know, he worked in a sort of a stable organization, built up his nest egg, and then he invested it uh, in, in the business. And you took the opposite approach is, is my impression, which is you just yeah. started right out of the gate swinging. Um, yes. What advice, and, and a lot of the listeners, I think, are probably working in corporate, although we do have an entrepreneur you know, listenership, but they're working in corporate and they, and they are thinking about starting their own business. What advice do you have for people who are more in the nest egg? You know, maybe they've worked for an organization for 10, 20 years and they're like, look, I've got some cash now. I really want to start this business. Uh, but Patrick's story about his dad scaring the crap out of me right now. Um, what do you say to him? I would say if you are an expert in your field and you feel like you've got a shot at that, uh, then absolutely take it. I, I think there's a myth in entrepreneurship that the entrepreneur is a 24-year-old successful person, mm -hmm. that Mark Zuckerberg is on our minds and in our magazines because he is the exception to the rule. Now, I started mm -hmm. GoToTeam when I was 24, and it was my third business, but the reality is that the majority of entrepreneurs are people that have gone out in the world, they've worked for someone, they have learned an industry, and they have an expertise that allows them to now enter into the market with a network and an ability to execute around that particular idea mm -hmm. in a super positive way. Uh, now, I think in, in my dad's case, you know, are, are there people that are, are experts in their industry and they're going to run out there and you're going to uh, not get to where you want to go, man, I, I, that's going to happen. That, yes. Don't, don't tell me that mm -hmm. you're going to win on every stock market investment you make either. Right. And, and no football team is going to go undefeated for years. I, I, you are going to get losses. Uh, and so that's where I would counsel to say, you know, have a have your vision match how deep your pockets are so that you can sustain for a long period of time and that you're really watching those finances, as, as I mentioned before, that you're knowing, you know, we, we can make this work, we can break even. Uh, and as long as you're doing that, then you can really play the game out uh, for, for quite some time. So that would be my advice is mm -hmm. absolutely do it. And just make sure that in doing it, you're prepared that there's going to be some, some games you lose, but that doesn't mean you, you won't make it to the championship. I love that. And having, having uh, been an Alabama grad and having a daughter who's 10, she thinks that, hey, Alabama's you know, going to win championships in football you know, all the time, every other year. I'm like, no, this is a I, – you know, I went to Bama when we, were, we weren't winning much at all. Right, it, all things, yeah, things change, and uh, no one bats a perfect bats perfectly. And um, you know, what one of the things that came up to me in your story, I've loved your story, and you mentioned GoTo Team. You know, your your third company, and that is a that was a really there's a lot of cool stories there. But hearing about the you know your story of the Atlanta bombing and Monica Lewinsky and all these amazing things, it's like, 
amazing things, things happening one after another. And so I've got a question in this, cause it seems like all these crazy things happen and you guys are just running all over the country and <laughs> how does it, maybe you can weave it in your story, but how does one create their own luck? <laughs> I love that because I normally try to counsel, uh, especially my kids, but even my, my friends and peers is how do we use discipline to be lucky again, right? Hmm. I think it's funny that, that people say, oh, entrepreneurs, man, you just like lightning strikes, right? And you, you're just successful. And the reality is it's just not hmm. the case. We're closer to farmers than we are, uh, you know, somebody getting struck by lightning. What, what I've learned, again, hmm. from interviewing all these entrepreneurs and seeing how mm -hmm. they scale and innovate, the good ones are going to do it over and over again. Number one, they're built for it. They, they, they've created themselves into someone that has to do it. When they exit, they immediately start going, what am I going to do next? I, you know, and you got, this, you got this tremendously successful person who just cashed out for a big number. And the mm -hmm. first thing they're saying is, well, now that I'm done with that, what am, what am I going to do next? Uh, normally, I have to counsel them to take a pause and just, just allow yourself to rest a second and a half. But the, the real entrepreneur is looking for the next opportunity. And just like you said, they have discipline and they're putting themselves in the right spaces in order to get lucky. I hmm. do think luck has a lot to do with it. Of course, where we start life out is lucky. I'm blessed enough to have grown up on a golf course, had my college paid for with scholarships, I live in the United States of America. I'm a white male. These are all huge advantages for me. On the same front, I have to put myself in places and fields, industries that I can excel, right? I don't think it's a good idea for me to try to start a business tomorrow in astrophysics. I, I, I just know that's not my space and I need to, to not go in that direction. But I do know I know software really well. I know media really well and consumer marketing. These are strengths of mine. So I try to get into those areas, learn everything I can about that particular topic, then start a business. And the likelihood of me getting lucky is pretty high, right? Because mm -hmm. I put all these things in the row that are, are pretty well lined up. Now, I still might have a drought. I still might hit, not hit at the right time. I still might be too early to market or too late to market. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying the likelihood of me being lucky is really increased when I line up all those other things. I love so many things about that response. And it really hits home for me. Um, I was doing a lot of speaking before the, the pandemic. And when the lockdown happened and events disappeared, had to make some big changes in the business model. So we we're doing a lot of training virtually and uh, association meetings and doing a lot more webinars. But this podcast is one of the things that, that came out of that. And I'll say from sort of lining things up, uh, the CEO Sessions podcast put me square interviewing and in conversation with, with leaders like you. And at the beginning, I'm like, man, this is really interesting. I'm learning a lot from them. But now that you know, I'm a year and a half into it, it's just, I feel like it's really transformed my thinking. And I'm understanding more about 
uh, how other successful executives think, you know, how they go about their day. And that's brought in a lot of other interesting things uh, into my life than probably wouldn't have been there otherwise. So just like you say, lining things up, putting yourself out there, you know, in the right place uh, is key because otherwise things just may not happen. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. I completely agree. And one of the things you just said that is one of my, my favorite quotes is show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future. I, I am Ooh. such a, a proponent of surrounding yourself with mm. the stories and the people and the experiences that are where you want to be, right? I mean, they, they say dress for success, but I'll go 10 steps further and say, pick your friends for success, pick your uh, associations, the, the clubs you go to, your sports, pick everything for the next role that you want to play, the next place you want to be, the person you want to be. The more you craft yourself into a person that really successful people want to be around, mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. the more you are successful, right? And it becomes much easier. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a small uh, web video series for the Business Journal here in mm -hmm. Charleston. And it's so exciting. I get so jazzed interviewing entrepreneurs about, you know, how they started and where were the pain points and what have they uh, what are the stories that, that have made up their career? It, and that, to your point exactly, it just infuses me with excitement and inspiration and knowledge that when I wake up tomorrow and I've got an idea or I'm working on a problem, man, I just, I have all the tools that I need to solve it right there. It's, it's so great. Yeah. So what I, I love that you mentioned the, the interview series and I did check out some of those interviews and I, and I recommend them uh, to the listeners. I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes of this episode. Um, when's a time when that, that idea really, really played out for you in your career around? Your well, I'll tell you the, the easiest is to take us back to go to team. You know, I'm 24 years old. I had mm -hmm. worked at the the local NBC affiliate television station in Columbia, South Carolina, basically since I was in high school. I had had a part-time job there. And my boss at that television station is my first business partner and go-to team, which mm -hmm. was Dwayne Scott. He's a master, master journalist and, and cameraman. He's in the top 10 of the the most influential cameraman in the United States. He was Brian Williams' cameraman. Now he's with CBS, and he shoots on every major story. He's just such an impressive guy, and I, I love him to death. And, and, and when I was 24 years old and we were talking about starting a business, I knew that he was a go-getter, that he was going to work hard, that he was somebody that I admired, and that's why I was so excited to start a business with him. And, and that is 
ultimately why we were successful. You happened to mention some of those stories we were on and, and, and things that happened around mm-hmm. us, which is, which is phenomenal. But our mindset of winning goes back to Dwayne's desire to just be on every story all the time. Uh, you know, he's an A player. And, th- and that's ever since, that's been my goal. How to find and surround myself with A players and of my, gosh, I think today I, pro- I think I have seven or eight business partners, uh, people that I signed oh, tax wow. returns with. And they are all people that I respect, admire. They are A players uh, charging hard at their, their own game. And so when you're looking at or, or, or considering a new business, you're, you're looking for A players, which makes a lot of sense. What questions do you ask or what are you looking for when you meet someone to know if they're an A player? Well, you can normally sense it by what they're working on and how passionate hmm. They are about it. I, okay. I find that A players normally present themselves in a way that they are already charged up about whatever it is that, that we're working mm-hmm. on. And, and so normally mm-hmm. you can spot it through their actions because they're taking action. It, it's rare for an A player just to sit back and, and be relaxed. Uh, and, and, and I don't mean, mm. I don't, I, I mean lethargic more than taking time off or giving themselves space to think. I mean, those are all positive, healthy traits of a good leader, but really a players are built to take action and you, and you really can't stop them from doing so, uh, because mm. they're, they're focused on, on goals most of the time. Yeah, I like that. So the first thing I heard was energy. So you're, you're gauging their energy level. Are they excited? Are they, are they into what they're doing? But yeah, are they taking action? There are so many people, and I, and I know you know this, but there are so many people that are thinking about, oh, I'm, I have this idea I've been thinking about for 10 years, and they haven't done anything to actually right. and see if it's right. And, I, and I, I, saw an, I saw an interview that you did. And they asked you something about like, well, hey, how do, how do Patrick, how do you know if this is a good idea? And you're like, well, let us pick up the phone and I call a hundred people. And I can know after those hundred people or like, or, or I send an email to a hundred people. And if I don't get any response, I know that's probably not a great idea. Well, I was like, that's my so firm, true. Code and Trust, our software development firm, we're, we're a, a design product shop for software. And mm-hmm. what, what we teach and are infused with the customer success customer development model right so Hmm. to to your point exactly that is what we push our clients on and it's what we do when we're developing software products we want to know is the customer going to find value in this particular thing and the reality is the only way you can learn that is to to them and charge them for it and see if they truly felt like they got value. So I think that that is the, the way is to just take action, right? Mm-hmm. And, and ask somebody for it. I, I remember a, a funny time, you're talking about my, my development as a youth. And, and uh, my dad is in sales. He'd been in newspaper sales all his life, as I mentioned. And at one point, we were at a, a national conference that he attended. And he was well-known in this conference, and people knew who my dad was. And I'm at this event with him, 
and we're walking around talking to some people. And my dad decided it was time to raise money for the scholarship fund for this nonprofit. And so with me at his side, he walks up to one of his old buddies, somebody he had, he had clearly known. I don't remember now, but he clearly knew him pretty well. And uh, I vividly remember him going, hey, Bill, you, do you, got, you got $20 on you? I, I need $20. And, and Bill's like, yeah, sure, Ed, I got $20 for you, $20. And he pulls out $20 and my dad goes, thanks, Bill, we're putting that in the scholarship fund. And that was it. There was no, there was no ask. There was no, there was no explanation about the scholarship fund. And it, I then watched him do it literally 10 more times, then stood up on a stage and said, 10 people in this audience have already given $20 tonight. Can somebody else help out and give $20? And he, he just raised the money, right? Uh, because he had that skill set of just, look, you're, you're going to get value out of this. You, everybody wants the scholarship fund. I'm going to make a reasonable ask of you and you're going to be willing to participate. And at the end of the day, we're going to make this really easy for anyone. And, and that's how I feel about products. Most of the time, people want to buy your product. They, you, clearly, if you built something of use that ha will improve their business or what they sell or uh, the way that they interact with people, any of those things, they're, they're going to want it. They, they need it. You know, they, they've got to do that task and you're just helping them do it better. And as long as you've baked into that model that this is going to help them and mm -hmm. it aligns cost wise with what they would spend for that help, then they're going to be really happy. Like they, they want you there. And so that, that really is, you know, the way that I think about it is when we're launching something new, I just try to call people or email them or communicate and just say, hey, look, we got a thing. I think it's useful to you. Does it fit the value that you're thinking? And if the answer is yes, then we're off to the races. If the listeners walk away with one lesson, let that be it. I mean, that is so simple. And so I, I came out of uh, a very corporate world. I mean, I worked for like, Russell Athletic and Sports Authority, Honeywell, DHL. And so now that I have my own business, what you just said is completely counterintuitive to how a corporate environment works. Because if you failing is bad in that environment, it'll cost you your job, you get humiliated, demoted, you know, whatever. But what we're talking about here in, in the world of entrepreneur and founding your own business this is, a, this is a key success strategy, or is really a mindset and philosophy. It's very different. <laughs> I, I'm in the middle of reading The Innovator's Dilemma. I don't mm. know if you've heard of this book, but it's, it's a Christensen? What's that? Mark Christensen, The Innovator's Dilemma? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, Christensen. And uh, I, it really does speak to corporate America that... that uh, our mindset as startup entrepreneurs is just completely different. So at Code and Trust, we end up being a skunk works, developing software mm. for major mm -hmm. corporations where they've got a problem. They need a piece of software for their employees. They need a piece of software for their customer. You know, that, that problem is something that they uh, might be able to solve in-house, but what we are able to accomplish is completely different because we are that innovative thinking, small company that can bring something to the table 
that a large company mm. just can't think that way. I uh, see that. It really mm. is the difference between mm. you've got a, a cruise ship and that is an amazing type of transportation mechanism. It is big. It can carry a lot of people. It can be on the ocean for a long time. There are very positive things about uh, a large mm. uh, ship. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I and my partners develop for a living software products that are speedboats. And mm. we need to get to market fast. We need to test it. We need to understand what worked and what didn't. We need to turn on a dime. Uh, and, and in those ways, the large corporations love our software because we come at it with this really innovative entrepreneurial thought process that is incredibly intriguing. And then once they deploy it, then they are completely capable of taking it to the next level. Man, that is so important for business leaders to be listening to, because it's so easy to go with the big name supplier that the company's been working with for 10 to 15 years and the tried and true, they're an approved vendor and this and that. But you, you may be missing out on this. And sometimes working with a smaller company, like you say, who's more nim nimble, who can be more innovative, uh, can really help you leapfrog the, the competition. Because uh, it's something yeah, that I, a, I agree. a bigger company really can't, uh, you know, really can't get a hold of there. And I love the call, calling back the skunk works. Because like if you read, read Steve Jobs's, you know, biography, like when he came in and he was trying to reinvent Apple. That's the kind of thing that they had going at Apple, right? The small, you know, the small sort of startup mentality uh, inside the bigger it's, it's one. It's key. And I think small groups are key to that. And I, I train to it a good bit uh, in mm -hmm. larger organizations, but also in, in code and trust model, when we're thinking about software development process, out, we literally teach our software engineers to think like entrepreneurs. We have curriculum. We introduce them to entrepreneurs. I've interviewed a lot for them. Mm -hmm. it, we want them thinking like someone who's willing to take risk uh, and willing to try out the new thing and, and learn from a customer or an employee that's using that piece of software. Uh, where should that button go? Why did we put it there? Why, are, why aren't mm -hmm. we testing uh, the verbiage on this particular thing? Um, and, and we don't think of it as a, as a focus group. We don't, we don't believe mm -hmm. in, in that mentality. We, we don't think you should get people together in a room and ask them where to put the button. You know, if um, uh, Henry Ford said that if he asked his customer what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse, <laughs> right? Yeah, I love it. So I, I think you, you can't just ask people what they want you have to produce something, charge them for it, listen to their feedback, and then iterate. And it's a completely different process than the, the corporate, uh, large corporate mindset. And, and I'm not saying large corporate's bad. It's clearly very good uh, at doing, again, cargo ship, right? It, it is amazing at moving large numbers of people mm -hmm. and volume and being able Big to repeatable processes that can just repeatable be, process yeah, yeah, for efficiency. 100%. But I mean, we're in a pretty dynamic. I mean, we're in a very dynamic time period right now, you know, with, yes, we're somewhere in the COVID curve. It seems like we're on the back end of it some degree, but who knows, but there's been so much change. 
Yeah, I mean, finding companies to collaborate with uh, that are the, that are different for big companies uh, that can give that entrepreneur mind sh- uh, mindset uh, almost immediately just by working together. I think there there's a huge advantage there. Well, and to your point, the the cycle. I think you know we're not done with COVID. There'll still be some pain, uh, but I do think uh, and I hope. They were on the back side of it. Uh, so I, I, I yeah. do think we've, we've come through the hardest part, but there's still going to be some things. But, but what I am excited about as an innovator and an entrepreneur is COVID created a worldwide shift moment of a mm. ton of new technology, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we, we just completely yes. revolutionized in a very quick time frame. We revolutionized uh, virtual video. We revolutionized QR codes being in our ethos. We, mm-hmm. we revolutionized the way that we work, uh, both in person and at home and the balance of those. I mean, uh, seismic shifts. And what happens with seismic shifts is we don't then go, oh, okay, good. We figured it out and we're done now. No, that <laughs> seismic shift moved the earth and now we as entrepreneurs have that moment that we all get to go, okay, now that the earth moved, what's going to be next for the next cycle? What's going to mm-hmm. be different? And I think that's why mm-hmm. meta is a big thing right now, right? People are talking about VR and how yes. that infuses into our entertainment and, and ultimately our work. So I think that's what we're all going to experience in the next 10 to 15 year cycle is going to be relatable, but yet completely different to what we just learned in our crisis time period, right? We, we seismically shifted the earth and now it's going to take 10 to 15 years for everybody to redevelop around all of those things. And it's going to be a huge opportunity. I, I say, I say we uh, entrepreneurs, but I'm speaking specifically of our broadcast division and our software division, our rolling papers company, I, I always say we win in the curve. Like if you put us in a situation that, that the world is changing, that mm-hmm. is when we pick up more ground and the world's changing now more than it ever has in the history of me being. In business. Yeah. There's like this window, like you say, in the curve where that's the magic moment, because once, once you get out of that curve, things start to flatten out. It's like everyone's getting on it. And so I think the, the importance of having courage, uh, having that network of like-minded people that are positive, that are encouraging, that you can rely on and learn from each other and even collaborate with and scale up more quickly, it's going to give you a huge advantage to take advantage of that before things start to, you know, sort of settle in. Yeah. Yeah. I've, so one of the quotes, and I don't know if this still holds true or not, but I want to ask you about this. You've said that you want to be with a company until they have around 10 employees. Um, and that becomes uh, sort of like your dividing mark. Is that still the case? And what happens at 10 employees that you're like, okay, now I need to change my position on it or, or my engagement with it? Well, the full quote is at, at 10 employees, I want to leave the company. At 20 employees, you want me to leave the company. I, I don't <laughs> okay. babysit well. Uh, and for me, I enjoy startups. I, I, I clearly, you can, you can tell, right. I, I, I love a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love a new idea. I love implementing, 
uh, things as they scale. But once there's a five-year strategic plan, then I'm normally not your guy. I can help you craft a five-year strategic plan, but I don't want to go run it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that as I grow businesses and have now uh, so many times, I try to work with really good partners, get them on a really good footing toward that five-year strategic plan, toward 20 employees. Once we can see we got 20 employees, we're managing them, we've created a system, we know the, the revenue model, we've tested out some of the basics. I'm not saying we're done. We're not nearly done. Uh, but, but for me, that's what I call the zero to one time frame. And uh, I strive in that moment. By 20 employees, people start asking questions like, what's the vacation policy? And, and wanting to tell me how they need like, off that's next not me. week. <laughs> and I don't, I don't babysit well. And I get very frustrated and say, yeah, I, don't, I need to, uh, to get out. I, I mm-hmm. have found that, that Code and Trust is an example. Code and Trust is now up to 20 employees. It's at that mark that I would normally say, hey, you know what? We've done this. I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, it's a strong company. And and now let's hire a professional CEO and let it grow. And that, that's not unlike where we are, uh, but mm-hmm. I've also learned of my skill set that I have phenomenal business partners in Code and Trust. My, uh, one of my dearest friends, CTO, Sam Staley, uh, is on the technical side. And then we have an amazing CTO, uh, or excuse me, COO, who really runs the team. I call him our head coach. Uh, and so... Um, and then sales, we've got Andrew Strickland, who's a great business partner and can just sell all mm-hmm. day long. And so with those three, I really do have a team that it can continue to grow and I can focus on what I want to focus on, which is okay. being out in the world, talking with entrepreneurs, helping them move forward. And all those things are super exciting to me. And then uh, our head coach, COO, uh, Chris Neary, he's the one who's really worried about growing that team, making sure they get the love they need to grow as people. And, uh, and so that I, I'll probably stick around for another, Oh, I don't know, five, uh, five or 10 employees, but then it'll be, it'll be time for somebody else to, to take the helm. I, I'll hold, yep. I'll, I'll continue hmm. to be a partner. I, I love the company and it, uh, I love how fast it's growing and what it's doing, but uh, it, it, there's always time for, for somebody else to step in that has a better skill set at, at managing yeah, and it's, the larger group. I mean, I think it's so important. One of the things I hear, and for listeners too, is what you're demonstrating is such a level of personal clarity in terms of what you like. It's like, and, and as an entrepreneur and in a leader, it's so easy to start doing stuff because you can do it. Could you lead a hundred, a thousand person company? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. But if it's not where you really want to be and where you get your sort of personal inner energy from, like, you know, have that courage and sense of clarity and framework to operate within and give yourself permission to not go do that. And the constraints um, may seem like they're confining you, but they actually give us a sense of purpose and help us stay, you know, in our sweet spot. And so uh, I commend you on that. A couple more questions before, we, uh, before I let you go. First of all, you know, I'm, I'm reading your bio, I'm doing my research and I'm like rolling papers. <laughs> what is it? you look at, it, this is not just any rolling paper. So uh, applying what you've told us so far about your environment, the people you surround yourself with, 
around creating opportunity for yourself. How did this lead to rolling papers? I love this business. I'm so proud and excited about it. I'll tell you how it all started was I had a, a very close personal friend that I invested in their cigar company, Dave Brown. Uh, he, I, I did it because he's an A player. I knew that mm-hmm. he was going to be successful somehow. I didn't know how. He was struggling mm-hmm. at the time with the cigar business because the number one client had filed bankruptcy. And I dove in and got involved and Dave and I just proved out to be incredibly good business partners. We were selling a lot of cigars because through Dave's hard work, we became the number one supplier of cigars to Las Vegas casinos. So we had all the Las Vegas casinos. We were doing their distribution. And one day Dave walks in my office and says, I just found out we are the number one supplier of Opus X, which is one of the most expensive cigars in the U.S., about $100 a stick in Vegas. He said, we are the number one supplier uh, in the entire United States. We're selling more of this cigar than anyone else. And that starts a conversation between the two of us of, well, if we're selling that cigar this much, mm-hmm. what if we create our own cigar? And we were able to put that down our own supply channel. And we were able to convince all of our customers to carry our own very expensive cigar. So what would that look like? And we start experimenting and we start with um, cognac infused cigars. And wow. they didn't taste that great. It didn't go the way we thought. So we, we start experimenting more and we take $100 shredded bills, which you can buy from the mint. And we put them on the outside of the cigar, kind of paper mache style. Wow. And we think that this is a cool idea to burn $100 bills, but it looks like a monstrosity. It's just not, it's like some kids. (laughs) It doesn't look like you're smoking $100 uh, bills. Yeah. 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 So we're not, we're not happy with the way Mm -hmm. it turned out, but we love this idea of burning money. And so we come up with the idea that we'll put, 24 karat gold on the outside of the cigar and and you got to envision it but what we were thinking was you'd have a cigar and there would be gold dripping down it like the wax Mm. on the outside of a liquor bottle right it's just dripping down so we buy some gold we put it in a double boiler and we're going to heat the gold up melt it and try to use it to put on the outside of the cigar And for as good as entrepreneurs and scale and innovators as we are, we are not master engineers, clearly, because (laughs) what we started laughing about as we're doing it is that we Google the melting point of gold. And number one, you can't melt gold in a double boiler. So complete fail. (laughs) On the other hand, had we been able to melt it and Mm -hmm. then dip the cigar in it, you'd have no cigar left. The cigar would be completely gone. Just and so we're wow. laughing about wow. this and, and it ended up being just a really funny moment, but it pivoted us off to 24 karat gold, gold leaf on the mm. outside mm-hmm. of this cigar. And once we did that, we started selling it. People were incredibly interested in it. We made a bunch of headlines. We pivoted off to a rolling paper that was a less expensive product, uh, but also incredibly cool. And within one year, Miley Cyrus took it on tour at her merch table. Snoop Dogg smoked it on stage. 
We were sponsoring little Dickies tour. It was smoked on TMZ twice that year. It just took off like a rocket ship. Wow. And what we had learned that I think is incredibly important to the entrepreneurs that are listening mm-hmm. is we had invented a product that was innovative. We mm-hmm. ended up getting the trademark on the color gold. So the only way you can do a rolling paper, 24 karat gold, is by coming through shine nice. licensing. Yes. And we had created a product that was scalable. It could be sold the world over and re- sold repeatedly, which is kind of important. Hmm. Remember here, we had created a product that our clients literally lit it on fire and <laughs> needed to buy more. So yeah. the the shine hmm. experience really was that moment that me, Dave, my entrepreneurial friends, we, we really understood, oh no, we know what we're doing. We can mm-hmm. create products that are innovative, that are scalable, that take off, and we can get to a million dollar valuation. In that particular case, we got to a million dollar valuation in less than 18 months. Wow. Since then, I've <clears> done <throat> companies with a million dollar valuation in less than 18 months, two more times. And now we just know it as a formula. We understand it. We know how to innovate. We know how to find scale. We, we just really see it as, as that. So that's why I speak on mostly is helping entrepreneurs and corporations find that product that is innovative, scalable in the place that they can execute it. To me, that is my number one passion is how do we get people to find those particular types of products because that's where we just win all day long. Oh man, I love the formula and thanks for walking us through that. That is a very entertaining story. And I was at, I was messing around the website earlier and I, I clicked on the about page and they're like, we were in Vegas at 4 a.m. And you know, this, you, you, you like get this story and they're like, yeah, we're leaving a little gold in the, in the, in the ashtray as we leave. And I'm like, man, this is going to be absolutely huge. And it yeah. sounds like it. You know, it's already taken off and I love how you've been able to structure this. Uh, Patrick, wrapping up today, I mean, this is, I mean, so many good nuggets here. Uh, what's a parting thought that you'd like to leave the listeners? I try so hard to infuse everyone with the desire and inspiration to go start something. I believe entrepreneurship is the number one change agent in the world. I am passionate that we can go out in the world, find products and services that people need that will improve their life and then offer it to them at a value that makes perfect sense for me as the entrepreneur to continue growing that thing and for them to use that product and service over and over again Mm. to make everyone's life better. So that to me is, is my passion. It's the thing I focus on. And I really just want to help other people in, in either in their corporate situation and or entrepreneurs that are starting up, help them find that innovation and scale and ability to execute. To me, that's just the, the best thing in the world when it all comes together. Well, there you go, everybody. Some great tips from Patrick. Patrick, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? 
I'm on LinkedIn as Patrick Bryant in Charleston, South Carolina. That's an easy way. And also, they're more than welcome to email me. They can go to codeandtrust.com. And we've got a a generic email on there. They can uh, seek out me on that platform as well. All right, check it out. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.